So I decided, unbeknownst to me, to take a giant, I used to be a water skier, open mouth face plant into the lake and stay underwater for a little while before coming up and gasping for air. Uh, this might be the best sermon you ever hear on fasting because it might be the only sermon you've ever heard on fasting. And it may just be discombobulated at the same time as I am trying to reorient myself after that high-speed face plant. But it has been a fun week for me. You can ask my wife, Tiffany, uh, about coming home Thursday and before college group and she getting to hear the sermon before I preach it as I process through compiling everything together. I want to pause for a minute, a little bit like we would do from time to time in the youth group, though, and I actually want you to raise your hand for the benefit of the people around you, and if you're like me, you won't do it. I don't ever raise my hand. You can watch me every time Benji asks. I'll just sit there and stare at him. (laughs) Or some of you will do the, like, I forgot to put my deodorant on. We know that's not actually what you mean, but it only goes up this high, shoulder high, so that you're raising your hand and you're obeying the person up front, but you're not actually embracing the experience. And then some of you are full charismatic, two hands up. I am all in on that. How many of you have ever felt guilty about not fasting or not fasting more? You've heard about it. You've felt like, thank you, by the way, those of you who popped up on that. You felt like it. You've heard about it. And you feel like you should fast more, but you don't actually know why other than, well, people talk about it and it's a spiritual discipline. I want you to remember our church's name and the song that we just sang, songs, but especially that last one. And I want to encourage you that fasting is supposed to be tied to the cross. And it's supposed to be tied to grace because of it. So if at any point... What I'm talking about today makes you feel shame, not conviction that's different, but shame, run to grace. It means I've spoken poorly or you have misheard me. But everything we talk about up here at this pulpit is supposed to drive you to Christ and drive you to grace, and that includes fasting. One of my concerns with this sermon, by the way, Benji does a great job of always taking the passage to Christ. And as I was working on it earlier in the week, I kept thinking, how in the world am I going to drive this to Christ and not just spiritual discipline? But the more I got into it, the more it revealed to itself the intricate connection of fasting and the cross because of its origins in the Old Testament. So that said, we're going to go back to June. I want to take you a little bit to Wildwood. I had the privilege of taking our students back to camp. Wildwood is... The camp that I would have loved as a student, kickback is my favorite. We get all our students, all our staff, or at least that's our goal, and we have a blast focusing on something that we tie into our t-shirts and for a theme throughout the year. It's Shalom this year. We just got back from my staff last week very much, last week's sermon on prayer, and students too, was a uh, review of what we had talked about in the week, and this one I promise is not. I've talked about this with them in particular But Wildwood, we did talk about fasting. I got to take a new student to Wildwood, though. Wildwood is an intense discipleship camp. It is entirely outside. We sleep in tents, uh, military or Alaskan hunting-style tents. And there is no inside building except for two bathroom buildings. 
that are inside. That's because of bears and critters and other things. There are no snacks allowed back in the room. And Jack, one of our students, a spectacular young man, uh, not perfect by any means, as you'll hear in a minute, uh, Jack was there for the first time, and he was loving camp right up until Wednesday at about 3 o'clock. Now, they have no idea what time it is because they take their watches away at the beginning of the camp. And they actually come to enjoy that lack of knowledge, just knowing what you're doing and maybe what comes next, but having no idea what time it is or when the next thing will happen. And as we're doing a long devotion time, and this one was about three to five hours long, I don't remember because I wasn't looking at my watch either, about maybe an hour and a half into it, I look over and Jack is just giving me a look of pure anger. Well, comical anger, actually. It even reached the point, I believe, if I remember right, that his hands are on his hips and he's giving me a particular look that Jack has from time to time when he's passionate about something. And he is angry at me. Because earlier in the morning... One of the camp staffers led a chapel. His name was Daniel. And these are my notes from the chapel. He's talking about fasting. He says, We've been placed in a world in which we eat every four to six waking hours, and God gave us taste buds to enjoy it. We like eating. It tastes good to most of us, and we don't want to give that up. Apparently, this comes from an author, Donald Whitney, But the Bible references baptism 75 times. It references fasting 77 times. So perhaps, by the way, we should change our name to Grace Fasting Church. I'm not recommending that. I'm just posing the question. He also mentioned Romans 8.18, that the sufferings of this present world are nothing Compared to the eternal glory, that is certainly true that when we fast, it should remind us that there is a spiritual world, that we are not merely physical. In fasting, we say no to a certain good, eating food, to say yes to a better good. It's true of all fasting, by the way, whether it's fasting or it's fidelity, a particular kind of fast. And usually, that's my word added in, usually we should have a particular question or concern or maybe even a passage in mind when we fast. But the one that really stood out to me was this. This is an actual quote. The others are just my notes. I don't remember how close it is to what he said. But this is what Daniel said. I don't know if he got it from somewhere else. If he did, I'm sure he referenced it and I just lost that. But the words were very poignant to me. Quote, if you're fasting and not praying, then you're just being hungry. End quote. The Bible doesn't call us to just be hungry. I'm going to shock a couple of you. At this point, it may not even call us to be fasting. But if we're fasting, it is certainly not just calling us to be hungry and uncomfortable. We talked about prayer last week, and I'm sure for many of you, like my staff, it was just a reminder of things that you've heard and then a a call to prayer. And I hope that you prayed more this week. But much to Papa Chet's lament, that's the older Chet in our group, not the worship Chet in our group. It's fun trying to reference uh, two wonderful men in our church that have the same name because they're a father and son, if you don't know. 
That's a term of endearment, by the way, whenever I use it. But to his lament, he is correct when he says we don't talk about fasting very often. And he doesn't just mean grace. He means the church. People, we don't. Well, apart from youth group moments like Wildwood, or if you've heard of it, the 30-hour famine, fasting is not filling up our bookshelves from Christian bookstores. There's a few books. You might be able to remember the name sort of of maybe one of them or two or three authors that have talked about it. So he's right to, to lament that. And today we're going to think through what several, many passages say about fasting. It may feel like I'm talking about all 77. I promise I'm not. And I may frustrate you if I don't get to the one you want. But in your notes, I've actually listed the passages because we are going to go fast. That pun is entirely intended. And I might have to cut things on the fly. So if I don't get to it, look those passages up on your own time. And eventually my notes will land online if you want to see more. But again, if something I say today, or maybe if I get into, have time to get into some of the things we might fast about, especially in our own nation, please hear grace in that, not condemnation. Perhaps conviction on the part of the Holy Spirit, but never condemnation. Fasting and a discussion of fasting should drive you to the cross and to grace. Matthew 6, verse 16 to 18, when you fast, and when you fast, Do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. The first thing is we need to not be gloomy like the hypocrites were. In Jesus' time in Israel, there were people walking around that wanted you to know that they were fasting. Before you condemn them too much, our culture would do the same thing. I'll get to that in a minute. But we shouldn't be melodramatic when we fast. We actually should go the opposite direction. Instead of sackcloth and ashes, with the exception of certain fasts of mourning or lamenting, Instead of that sackcloth and ashes, we should be taking showers and dropping body axe spray bombs on the people around us to go the other direction. If you don't know what a body axe spray or body axe bomb is, just hang out with your junior high family member at some point, and I promise that smell is axe. Again, unless it's a fast for morning, that would be something different. We're supposed to fast in a way that nobody knows. That's social media nobody, not household nobody necessarily. Because your spouse or your parent, if you're younger, or those in your household, if you share a household, they might and sometimes must know that you're fasting. Imagine for a minute not telling them and then you just pass out. They should know that you're fasting at some point, especially the longer it goes or if you have some health considerations in mind. Or imagine they're planning a surprise party for you and you have chosen that day to fast. That is a horrible mashup. Surprise! Oh, I can't eat today. (laughs) I guess I should have told you. There are some exceptions to who knows, but fasting is primarily a private thing. So don't Instagram your empty plate if you choose to fast this week. 
Don't TikTok your hungry, growly stomach and your super sad face. That would be what the Pharisees were doing. But in our version, I told you, our culture would do the same thing. Additionally, though, and Jesus didn't talk about this here, but additionally, don't fast on Thanksgiving when your grandma is spending days and weeks prepping for the entire family to gather together. Apologies to grandpas, fathers, mothers who might also make that Thanksgiving meal, but in our house, it's always grandma. There are better and worse times to fast, so think through your calendar But what this passage is talking about is to think through also our demeanor, how we come across. Nobody else should know unless they need to know that we're fasting because they might need to be watching us or helping us if we end up a little too hungry in a way that would impact our lives or the lives of somebody else negatively. You might have heard this about this passage before also. When, not if, you fast. I think it's stated so much we're actually starting to overemphasize it, but it's a fair point. Jesus says when, not if. In fact, it's an important point. We need to figure out why he says when or maybe what he's referencing. Perhaps for us it's more of an if than we sometimes think from that, but he is talking to a very particular group of people, pre-cross Jews, that are living out the Old Testament law. And we need to wrestle with why he might say that. Whether or how that makes a difference or not is something we need to think through as much as the word choice he has. Or maybe because of the word choice he has. Keep an ear out for Yom Kippur in a minute. Acts 13, 2 and 3 does make this clear though. The early church continued to fast. This is post-cross. While we were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. As you think through whether you should fast or not, keep in mind that fasting led to the commissioning of the Paul and Barnabas ministry partnership. An incredible ministry partnership throughout the New Testament, at least until they broke up. Our next passage, Matthew 9, 14 through 17. That said, Jesus was challenged as to why the disciples were not fasting. Then the disciples of John came to him saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. Apparently the disciples didn't fast, or perhaps... They were so quiet about it that nobody knew. It's a possibility. But let's assume they didn't. Not only did the Pharisees notice this and have a problem, it's John the Baptist's disciples, his followers, that noticed it and came up to Jesus and asked the question. 
But then look at his answer. Jesus, as always, uses it as a teaching moment. He says, they don't fast because I'm here. I'm the bridegroom. I'm the point. So they don't need to fast, at least not right now. They'll have time to fast later. Later when he's gone. But what is he referencing? Is it after the ascension and until his return, or does he just mean after the cross and before the resurrection? Because I promise you, they were fasting that weekend. They were sad and desperate. They probably weren't even hungry. It may not have been an intentional fast. It was grief. And if you've ever watched somebody go through grief close enough, you'll remember the moment you have to remind them to eat. It's hard. Again, we, every four to six hours, some of you more than that, (laughs) some of us more than that, let me be honest. Our hunger and our taste buds are craving something. We like to give teenagers a hard time about going to the fridge and saying there's nothing to eat, but I do that even in my 40s. (sighs) Open the pantry, nothing there either. Go back to the fridge. I guess I'll have a banana. (laughs) Ruin my fasting. I do the same thing that the teens do. But Jesus says, I'm the celebration. He's referencing something in particular, by the way. He calls fasting also an old wineskin, unfitting for new wine. In other words, fasting will come to an end someday. I don't think we'll be fasting on the new earth. It's going to be different for eternity. It's going to be different. Or you might argue, no fasting after the resurrection. That's part of what we got to wade through, and I know I'm not helping right now because I keep giving you this and then that because that's where Scripture goes with it. This, but then that, but then this. Maybe no fasting, but certainly, and this is the key, no no more need for the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, after he actually makes atonement at the cross. And his answer echoes Zechariah 8, 19, that our fasting will be turned to feasting. Thus says the Lord of hosts, this is meticulous, the fast of the fourth month and the fast of the fifth and the fast of the seventh and the fast of the tenth shall be to the house of Judah seasons of, catch this, joy and gladness and cheerful feasts. Therefore, love, truth, and peace. There's going to be a turning point. And the question is, is it eternity or is it now because of the cross he's made atonement? Is it now fulfillment? Is it later fulfillment? Or is it now and later fulfillment? I almost always go with that last one, by the way. Sinclair Ferguson in The Whole Christ alludes to this or points this out. Fasting as a national Old Testament command is one time in the law, and it's the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, which, by the way, was this last Wednesday night to Thursday dinner. It is the fast. 
Now the nation of Israel added in five other fasts. But in the law, there was one. The Day of Atonement. So when Jesus says, I'm the celebration, that's what he's talking about. I'm the one who's making atonement for your sins. Fasting was a foreshadowing of grace at the cross. It was repentance and lament for their sins every year as a sacrifice was made to foreshadow atonement. Fasting is all about grace. From the law, it is all about grace. So if and when you fast, make sure you focus on Christ and are driven to grace because that was the point even from the beginning. The fast, Yom Kippur, is all about Jesus and prepping for the Messiah. It was an annual reminder. Now, it mentioned the other times. There were other reasons that the nation began to fast in, mem- in remembrance of what God had done and moments in their history. But the fast was the Day of Atonement. And now that Jesus has come, now that atonement has been made, fasting has changed to feasting. That does not mean we never fast, but it does mean we need to remember Yom Kippur when we do, and more importantly, the cross and the resurrection. Interestingly, I noticed this as we were doing our DVD series on spiritual warfare. Fasting is surprisingly absent from Ephesians 6. The passage on spiritual warfare, the passage explaining how we stand firm in the face of Satan and demonic influence makes no mention of fasting. In fact, There is little to no mention of fasting in the epistles. Feel free to correct me on that or have that discussion with me if you think. But I couldn't find it, and when I looked up on the internet thinking, i got to be wrong, right? It was confirmed. You see, the Old Testament talks about fasting quite a bit, those 77 references. The Gospels talk about fasting. Acts talks about fasting, and then it's absent. We know that the Acts church fasted, and we know from history that the early church fasted. But Paul and Peter and John and James, the authors of the New Testament, inspired by God writing through them, all left it off the menu. Or fans of In-N-Out, perhaps they simply placed it on the secret menu. My brain goes to Mark 9, 28. This is part of the conversation I was having with Tiffany on Thursday. And I've used this with students. In fact, I used this on the mission trip. We were talking about spiritual warfare, and I referenced it. And for some reason, I always want to place it in Acts, which doesn't even make sense, because I know it's Jesus that is the one talking about it. But I was trying to put it in the middle of Acts. It's Mark 9, 28. There's a parallel passage, Matthew 17, 19 where they say, why couldn't we cast out the demon? And he says, it's because you need to pray and fast, except if you read in your, in your Bible, that's not there. It's in a footnote. 
at the bottom. That was really tough this week. I actually struggled. This messed with my theology this week. And it's offset by Acts 13.2. Don't forget that. We know that the church fasted and continued to fast. So there's a place for it in spiritual discipline. But my go-to passage in my mind of here's one of the times to fast is when you're in the face of spiritual oppression. Fast. Jesus said it. Except it's a variant and it's probably a late addition and it's possibly best explained by saying a scribe wanted to emphasize fasting but Jesus never did. It's not the only explanation for that. But at least this, the context of both Mark 9 and Matthew 17 is an emphasis on faith, that their faith was too small. It's the same passage where the man says, if you can help my son, and Jesus goes, if? And his response is, I believe, help my unbelief. And Jesus is making a statement not about fasting, but about having enough faith to his disciples. It's very interesting. I'm sorry if this sermon on fasting is not going the direction that you think it should or that you want to. Go check out all 77 passages if you want to, and I am not trying to discourage fasting. But it's interesting that the New Testament goes quiet on it. Once we get past the cross, especially in light of Yom Kippur. Some other passages on fasting. Isaiah 58, 3 through 7. The nation of Israel was failing in fasting instead of delighting in fasting. Some of you might struggle with this. It's very pertinent for the last two years, though. But notice where God goes with this discussion of fasting. Verse 3, why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? We're fasting faithfully, God. Remember, they've added some in. God said one. They said six. We're fasting faithfully. Behold, in the day of your fast, this is God's response, in the day of your fast you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose? A day for a person to humble himself? himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? We just sang break every chain or break these chains. Different song, break these chains. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? I think the fast is this. Fast from your self-centeredness. Two, grace and empathy. If you haven't been paying attention in the last two to three weeks, somehow empathy became something that's offensive to evangelicals. I'm not sure how that happened. Actually, I am. It's politically connected. See, sometimes in our conservativeness, we get a little too crazy in it. And somebody actually made the statement 
that empathy was a sin, and then people started defending it, and it makes no sense. In fact, it makes me mad. This is the other direction, fasting from self-centeredness to grace and empathy and social action. You might even say social justice. You probably should. Fasting to loving others. And I'm not trying to land on any political territory of where this goes, but it should connect your heart to empathy for the Haitian and the Afghani, for the hungry and the homeless in our city. God just took it there. I'd rather you not fast and that you go love other people. And really it's I'd rather you fast from your selfishness. Part of fasting is to get us out of ourself and that when my stomach growls for an hour because I skipped lunch on purpose, I have sympathy for the person holding the sign at the corner even if I'm not okay with them holding a sign at a corner. Because I just got my body involved in prayer. There's more to it. Joel 1, 13 through 15. There's even fasting and national repentance and mourning. You see, while there was only one Old Testament law commanded fast, that didn't mean that had to be the only time they were fasting. They could fast on their own. Or they could call the nation to fast. Individual or national repentance and mourning. Put on sackcloth and lamento, priests. Wail, O ministers of the altar. Go in, pass the night in sackcloth, O ministers of my God. Because grain offering and drink offering are withheld from the house of your God. Consecrate a fast. Call a solemn assembly. Gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land to the house of the Lord your God. And cry out to the Lord. Alas, for the day, for the day of the Lord is near and as destruction from the Almighty, it comes. This was really cool. I've heard about this in part, but not the full wording. I'll have in my notes a link if you want to go read the whole thing. In 1863, Abraham Lincoln called for a national fast. More than that, actually. In 1863, Lincoln called for a national day of humiliation, fasting, and prayer. There are so many things that we could fast for as a nation. Let me take that back. Our nation is not Christian. There are so many things that the people of Christ could fast for regarding our nation. Many. I thought it was cool that Lincoln called her fasting and humiliation. Esther 4, 15 through 17. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as, as Esther had ordered him. We fast in spiritual crisis. We fast and sometimes enlist others to join us in fasting. There may have only been one nationally commanded fast in the law, 
But Jewish history produced more, and one of them is this one from Esther. They fast in commemoration of it as a nation. So again, sometimes we fast in the face of spiritual crisis. I'm struggling, Lord. I'm feeling the weight of of the spiritual battle, and I will fast. And sometimes it's so intense we enlist the help of others to fast with us. Some of you may be wondering, too, is it okay to fast from something besides food? 1 Corinthians 7, 5, do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. That's for married people, by the way. But it shows us fasting for spiritual reasons from something other than food. Number six talks about the Nazarite vow, and there was a limited fast from food, drinking, but it was also fasting from death. You couldn't even go to a loved one's memorial service. And there's one more. I'm blanking on it right now. Sorry. Uh, From wine, from haircuts. The obvious one, Samson. Fasting from a haircut. Every time you look in the mirror, it was to remind you that you were fasting. Now, we don't usually think of it that way, but that's what it is. So tech fast, social media fast, and other non-food fasts are legitimate if they are prayer focused. Those of you doubting the significance of a tech fast, this is the screen generation and they feel tech as much or more than food. You withdraw tech and media from somebody young. Just turn off the Wi-Fi. You'll find out how much they crave it very quickly. By the way, they love it when it's taken away, but they struggle with it at the same time. They rejoice in it once it's gone and they get used to it. Oh, by the way, sorry, also, we love it and feel withdrawal. Most of us now count as the screen generation. You're probably in that. There's a few of you that don't, perhaps. Here's one test. If you have ever texted your spouse or your kids, instead of going to the next room, you count. You experience tech and media withdrawal. But there is something unique and particular about fasting from food. So how do we mesh all of this together? How do we find shalom or peace with fasting? It starts with Christ. The fulfillment of Yom Kippur. The fulfillment of the Jewish day of atonement. The commanded fast. All fasting should be Christ-focused and grace-infused. If not, you're not just being hungry You're forgetting the point. We should also acknowledge that there is freedom in fasting. There's no continued command or instruction for fasting. Perhaps that's why we don't talk about it more or understand it better. That said, there is a clear model for fasting throughout all of faith history. It's a practice that we see left and right. In Acts 13, we see the church doing it. I already read that. But we hear throughout what's recorded in history from the church, a pattern of fasting, a continuance of fasting. So we should probably be familiar with fasting while we also recognize that it's not a frequent spiritual practice. It's different. In other words, we pray without ceasing. We pray unceasingly. We read scripture regularly and we meditate on it throughout each day. Those are both biblical commands. 
And then we should find shalom and peace with fasting, however we implement it, or perhaps if we choose not to implement it, and certainly for those who just can't, at least on the food side, because their bodies won't allow for it. Those of you with health issues, find a different way to fast. Talk to your doctor if you think you want to fast from food, but perhaps or it is okay not to fast. We have grace and biblical instruction guiding us through when and whether and how to fast. And we have a rich history from our church history of that as well. This might be the most valuable part. We should recognize it as a heavyweight weapon for heavy moments. Like any powerful resource, by the way, we're better off with it if we're familiar with it before we ever need it. And that would lead to the spiritual discipline of fasting, that we become familiar with it in practice so that it is not awkward and unwieldy if we feel like we need to utilize it at the time. So I recommend fasting yearly, perhaps even monthly, for those of you that are motivated or find it valuable. If you're going to fast more than that, if you're going to fast weekly, I would encourage you to be wary of legalism because that's typically what we see from the Jews and from our own church history. That it can be very valuable, but it's very tempting to start thinking of ourselves if you are a regular or even a, an advanced person of fasting, that you are better than those who don't fast or don't fast as often. We should fast when we're stuck regarding a major life or spiritual discipline. Maybe you're thinking about joining the California Exodus, or you're thinking about a career change. You're not sure which college to go to or what degree to pursue, or you're facing persistent conflict with somebody. I mentioned that last week, and hopefully we are praying for God's kingdom and their blessing, their shalom. But perhaps it's time, because nothing is changing, to implement fasting. Maybe you're frustrated with the church and you're thinking about leaving. Those perhaps are all moments to fast. We know this nationally. I don't know about the studies globally yet. We know this nationally. and The church has faced a major upheaval in the last year and a half. And people have left in droves. Drove some permanently or at least some to nothing. Others just to change churches. What if all of them fasted first? How would that have changed the statistics? What if even just having the mindset that they should have fasted in that moment would have changed the statistics? Also, have you been praying and you feel like you still don't have an answer? Then pull out the heavy resource, the heavyweight weaponry, and fast. By the way, fast and prayer, intricately connected. Where appropriate, have you asked others to join you in fasting like Esther did? I'm not getting anywhere in this. I've prayed forever and faithfully, and I have no answer, and I don't believe that God is ignoring me. So I need to take it to another step, and I've fasted, and I still have no answer. Friends or small group or Sunday school class, would you join me? in prayer and fasting as I make this decision. Just don't forget to break out the heavy weaponry when you feel like you haven't gotten an answer despite much prayer 
through a spiritual crisis. So familiarize yourself with the spiritual discipline of fasting. Making sure you focus on Christ and remember grace. Pick a meal or a day, one that isn't physically, emotionally, or socially demanding, by the way. Don't fast on your wedding day. Please don't fast on your wedding day, especially if I'm the one doing the wedding because you're going to pass out. Hopefully it's a funny story and not a medical story if you do. Pray and place the meal on any time you feel those hunger pains. Don't forget to plan ahead how you're going to break fast. Learn from the Jews. Fast from after dinner up till the next dinner if you're going to go with an all-day fast and not just a meal. Try a non-food fast, tech, social media, or something else that you cling to or crave that is not inherently sinful. You can't fast from sin, by the way. That's called repentance. It's not fasting. It's obedience. It's different. We're talking about neutral or even good things, like 1 Corinthians 7. Recognize when and if you're already intentionally and prayerfully fasting. You might, know that you're, might not know that you're already doing it. Retreats are often fasting moments. Recognize it. You might be encouraged and realize, I should try this in some other moments. Like prayer. We have two prayer days coming up. I just talked about prayer. That is not an accident, and it wasn't even planned, but God is planning it. I thought about, do I call a grace fast today? And I thought, well, when? Tomorrow at lunch. But I don't know why I'm fasting then other than just to fast. You're welcome to do that if you want to. But I could get behind praying and fasting over our budget every November. Well, that seems like a good idea. That when the budget comes out, I don't just pray, but maybe I take a day to fast over it before we vote on it. Certainly, we shouldn't just show up on voting night forgetting that we had a vote coming, but we should pray over it, but maybe also fast over it. Grace, how about this one? What if the adults at Grace started fasting for our youth ministries and our kids' ministry? Saturday night, altar call night at winter camp. Wednesdays, usually the toughest day at Wildwood. Various times during and days during our missions trip. What about the first night of Awana that we just had for those that are not helping out? Those of you that are helping out, not a good night to fast. You need energy to hang out with those young people. But the rest of us, couldn't we fast on a Wednesday night? I wonder what that would do to Awana. Or the first breakfast or lunch of VBS. For those of you so inclined, I am not personally, by the way, but what about taking Lent more seriously, even as Baptists? Don't, by the way, 1 Corinthians 7, don't do that marriage Lent trend that pops up every once in a while. If you don't know what I'm talking about, don't worry about it. It's dumb. It's literally unbiblical. Don't do that. But there are other things for Lent that you can give up as a fast. What if we had Tech Fast Tuesday after Cyber Monday? To focus on prayer and community and remind ourselves that there was once a world without our technology. There's not really a right or wrong answer as long as you focus on Christ and remember grace. So have fun finding peace with fasting wherever you think it fits in your life. And always remember, if you're not praying when you're fasting, then you're just being hungry. Let's pray. Lord, as we stew on this for a bit, challenge us with how you would have each of us fast. 
challenge us perhaps on how you would have grace fast as a community. Lord, whether it's a fast to remind us that we are made for a spiritual and not just a physical eternity, or it is fasting and lament and mourning over the sins that we see in the nation that we love. Convict us where we are in error. Guide us in discipline that we would not stray from grace and become legalists if we choose to fast. But to be pointed to the cross all the more because we have set aside a time when we usually enjoy those taste buds you gave us to focus on prayer and watch what you would do. We praise your name. Amen.